Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Sunday, August 27th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Manchester City struggle at Sheffield. United are down, but not out. And Arsenal fumble away points at home. But first, Liverpool's late drama. Ten men down, but never out. They triumph against Newcastle away from home. Before we get to that, please like share, subscribe, like, share, subscribe. If you don't do it, you're not nice, but I know that you are. So you will like, share, subscribe. And here we go. Liverpool to Newcastle. Sorry, Newcastle United one, Liverpool two in the match of the day. An incredible game, a fun game, a St. James's Park game, a game that I don't know, Newcastle fans are going to kick themselves over all season. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Um, Anthony Gordon was fantastic. He scored the first goal on a mistake by Trent Alexander-Arnold. He simply missed a ball on a back pass from Salah. Gordon jumped on it, slots it through Allison's legs, and St. James's Park is wild and ready to go. At that moment, Newcastle were doing Newcastle things. They were strong. They were physical. They had their same group, Gumaresh Tanali, um, Joe Linton, Almiron, Gordon, Isaac. That was their group. Their defense is the same group. They play the same players, and they play the same way every time, and they were playing that way against Liverpool. But it would get worse for Liverpool. About five minutes later, Anthony Gordon again on a through ball through to Isaac. Van Dyke comes across. He's late. He's sloppy. He's the last man just. I don't. Th- I think if he wasn't the last man, that's just a yellow card. But he was the last man. And so Dogzo, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity is called. And he is sent off. Liverpool are down a goal, down a man in the 35th minute. This does not look good for Liverpool. However... However, however, Newcastle are unable to score a second goal. Um, Almiron has two different chances. One is an amazing save by Allison in the first half. And they are prepping and popping and trying to get in on target. And Liverpool are playing well and hanging in there for the first half mostly. That last 10 minutes of the first half was difficult for Liverpool. And in the second half... They're able to hang on, but only just, only just. Uh, I wouldn't say that Newcastle were bad or didn't have control, but they couldn't get the second goal. They couldn't get the second goal. And I think the key moment of the game was this pattern that Eddie Howe has with the team is to pull off Gordon and almost have a, a whole second group. He pulls off Gordon and Isaac together along with Joe Linton um, and brings on Barnes and um, Colin Wilson and whatever. Whether that is a bad thing or not a bad thing or whatever, it did take something away from Newcastle. It sort of said, oh, this game is going to peter out. This game is going to end. Um, 
and it really did feel like it was drifting. Uh, Klopp put on a 17-year-old defender uh, from the bench because he didn't have anyone. Uh, who's that change? I just want to make sure I get his name right because it was his first game ever. So I want to make sure that he gets his moment. Uh, Jarrell Almurin Kwanzaa gets into this game. Unbelievably for uh, our friend, Mr. Matip, who had come back, has had a lot of back problems. But in that moment, you thought this game was over. But cometh the man, cometh the moment. Um, Darwin Nunez comes on. On, in about the 70th minute, 75th minute. And even with his first touch, he's creating danger. He takes a shot, goes wide. Then on a ball over the top, um, Botman sort of bumps it with his butt and flicks it with his foot into the path of Nunez. And Nunez finishes it fantastically. And then another goal similarly. And you thought, oh my God, Liverpool are going to steal this. They've got this one goal lead. They've got this one, one draw. What a great result after having been down a man from the 28th minute, wouldn't this be a great result at St. James's Park? Wowie wow. But not so fast, my friends. On 93, similar, similar play from Nunez. Fires it in, bottom far corner, and Liverpool are up 2-1, having been down 10 men the whole time. This is such a good result for Liverpool that it's the type of thing that galvanizes them, that lifts them up. That is the Liverpool that, as a City fan, I am afraid of. <laughs> this is the team that I know. This is the Liverpool that goes neck and neck with you for 14 games. And you're like, can they just please lose? And invariably, they don't lose. They just draw. But those draws start to add up. And this was that Liverpool um, just an incredible performance, a show of grit, determination, and fight. And I think that the narrative this week is between pretenders and contenders. Liverpool showed they are not a pretender. They are a contender. And I think Newcastle showed they are a pretender. Uh, we hyped them up for the game against um, City last week, and they showed to be pretenders, and they did it again in this game. Uh, I listened to a little bit of True Geordie. I listened to a little bit of Christopher uh, from Top FC News. And it's just more of the same. We're not seeing from Newcastle the ability to elevate, to see out games, to control them, to impose themselves on the game. Uh, the second goal by Darwin was a turnover, a really bad turnover by Gimaresh in the final third that, that was played onto uh, Nunez for the second goal and the winning goal. Uh, really bad. The first one, you can make an argument. Hey, it was a mistake. Uh, Botman off the butt. Fine. You give up one goal. You take the sucker punch. It's 1-1. And you go home with the draw and you feel terrible. But to lose it, it wasn't a fluke. Newcastle just didn't have the understanding, the control, the know-how to finish the game. True Jordy, who I've been listening to because he's our uh, real Newcastle expert, no killers. There's no killers on this team. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about your Jordans, your Michael Jordan versus Kareem Abdul-Jabbar versus this person. And what we know about Kobe and what we know about Jordan, what we know about those great players is they're killers. They see games and they want to take them by the throat and destroy them and make you lose and shame you. And Newcastle don't have that shame killer instinct. 
uh, Liverpool do. They will come after you and they will get on your case and they will beat you and be happy to beat you. And I think part of that comes from Klopp and the fist bumping and the teeth and the yelling at the referees. But this is a real moment for Liverpool. Uh, they do show their new midfield of Endo, Zobazai, and uh, McAllister. I don't think it was particularly good. I don't think we're going to particularly see the type of Liverpool we would expect, especially uh, with um, with Van Dyke going off. I think those first 20 minutes before Van Dyke went off, you could argue they were bad. They had the same problems they had been having. They've been getting got at. Uh, still a work in progress, but even with that work in progress, inside the team for Liverpool, maybe it's transmitted from Klopp, is a champion level team. And uh, I did hear Jamie Carragher did suggest that they should go in the window and find a defender because I think there is a weakness back there um, with Konate, with with Matip, with Van Dyke. They need the next partner for Van Dyke so that he can be the drop. He can be the weaker link. He can be the one that we don't worry about. They need their Diaz. They need their Guardiola. Like you can see. Van Dyke is slipping. He, he just would have never made these mistakes in the past. And now it's five years ago. I understand that three years ago, whatever the case may be, they did run city to 90 points two years ago, but he's not that anymore. Uh, Joe Gomez did come on, played pretty good, uh, especially they really shut down um, Newcastle in the back half of the game. Newcastle just didn't sort of understand. They sort of seemed to think the game was over and that they could control it. Yes, they had better possession. Yes, they had lots of shots on target. Yes, 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 that's all true. And Allison did have to make great saves. So not to this isn't really to shit on Newcastle, but and in another game they they get the second goal and and everything goes away. But this for Liverpool is really a lift and for Newcastle let's say, wow, we really got to make sure that we get these second goals and kill off games. Because at 1-0, even up a man, Liverpool's too good. Um, I have to say, though, Pope looked weird. He kept punching things. He seemed nervous, especially in the first half hour. Um, the defense doesn't seem as sharp, maybe. I'm not sure. Something was a matter. Something was off. You know, they didn't give up two goals to anyone uh, early last season. So maybe this season will be a bigger struggle for Newcastle than we thought. Uh, narratives shift. Very, very quickly, we we thought about Newcastle as a contender, especially that first game against Aston Villa. Then we kind of questioned, hey, what's going on in the City game and thought that this game would be a bigger test. And they had it. They had it. It was in their hands. Had they been two and one, had they had the second win, but to beat up a man and up a goal and then lose to an underhanded, uh, a undermanned um, Liverpool is really just something that changes the narrative of their season, especially these early games. Uh, really painful and hurtful for Newcastle. I did not like what Eddie Howe was like at the end of the game. He didn't seem gutted. He didn't seem fiery about it. He was like, eh, it happened. I, I disagree with that. This is a gut punch game that you've got to check your players and say, if we want to do what we want to do this season, games like this can't happen. I understand that they do happen, and I think it's fair to say acknowledge that you played well, acknowledge that things happen, but as a group, we can't let games like this happen. We have to find a way 
to get it over the line. And I expect more from my players. I think that's reasonable to say. I don't think that is hurtful or mean or nasty or anything, but I'd like how to, to grab the mantle of his team, lift it up and say, no, this stops here. We're going to go kill the next team we play. Uh, you knew Klopp would be that way. I didn't get to listen to all the post-game interviews, but you know, I did sort of ingest the whole thing. It's a massive result for Liverpool. I do think one thing that's interesting that I took from it was the following. Liverpool sitting deep and playing on the break might actually be better for them than trying to press and, you know, harry people and play. Um, as a team on the break, maybe that's that's a version of them that they can play. On the break, they can be fantastic because of Nunez, because of Salah, because of Diaz, who didn't play. Um, but they were they looked lethal. They looked dangerous going forward whenever the ball turned over and 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 Newcastle weren't able to break them down. So interesting game, fun game. What it means for the narrative is I think Liverpool are probably in the contender bucket along with Manchester City. Um, but and maybe not Arsenal. I'm not sure. It's super early and definitely not my friends from Brighton who took a step backwards. Um, we, we move on to Arsenal versus Fulham. Um, Arsenal went down in this game, as all Arsenal games are, whether they're scoring first or someone else is scoring first. They give up a goal in the first minute. Uh, a mistake by Saka right into Porreira, who chip slash just shoots on goal. Uh, I don't know where Ramsdale was going. He was going to his regular position where he might be helping with the buildup. So very early in this game, you know, Arsenal were behind. Uh, they were really on under the cosh for most of the game. Um, but created enough, I thought, fundamentally, um, you know. But the first half, really nothing came off for them. They were unable to fashion enough shots that were dangerous. A lot of pawing around. They seemed to miss a striker or a focal point for the team. A lot of missed shots, a lot of wayward shots. Creating enough, it felt like, but Leno had lots and lots of saves in this game and did a good job in general. Second half, they do turn on the pressure. The changes come in. Um, just want to call out one player in particular. Uh, our friend, Mr. Fabio Vieira, was fantastic in this game. He made a huge, huge difference. Uh, Havertz still not working as well as you'd like, um, but they do draw a penalty on uh, who was having a fantastic game. Tete was having a fantastic game. Brings down, uh, is it Enketia? Is it Martinelli? Is it Enketia? Is it? I can't remember who it was. Uh, brings down the player in the box. Uh, Saka steps. It's not Saka. Uh, Saka steps up, dispatches it. Arsenal are now level and look like they're going to go on to win it. And Ketia, right after that, the seemed the whole, everything came together for Arsenal. The energy of the stadium picked them up and they picked up a second goal from Eddie and Ketia on 72. It looks like they're going to go on to win this game. On 83, they, they're on the break again. And Ketia knocks it past Bassi. Bassi fouls him and gets a second yellow. There was controversy on the on the sec on the Eddie and Ketia goal because in the buildup, um, Bassi was on the ground, knocked out cold, and maybe he was offside. But 
Arsenal played on. I don't particularly like when that happens. I think you should try and have sportsmanship, maybe. Um, maybe not. Uh, Bird Leno was gesturing, hey, 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 we should stop play. Arsenal played on, as is their right. And the it's the 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 the, the Inketia goal it gets put in. Fulham not happy. Uh, then there's a red card on 83 from Bassey. Um, but cometh the man, cometh the moment, late in the game, my friend and yours, the killer, the destroyer, the best player on Fulham, Jao Paulinha, low cross, first time, bang, into the corner, and Fulham get out of that game with a draw down a man. Uh, this is more of a narrative piece for Arsenal. It's not working. <laughs> The fluidness that they had uh, with with this Shaka and Odegaard double eights is not working with this new midfield of Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard. It's not connecting yet. Uh, it's not working yet. Thomas Partey at fullback is not connecting yet. Uh, is, is, is Arteta a one-trick pony? Could he only work with the group he had? Were we all underrating Granite Xhaka? It seems something is missing from the side. Uh, it's not working yet. It really isn't. Kiwior played right fullback. The whole I want to go with a giant defense that City has is spreading to uh, to Arsenal, which was weird. Uh, Zinchenko did come on. You know, we did see Gabriel Jesus late in the game, but Gabriel is in the doghouse. He just didn't play. So White. And Saliba played uh, in central defense. That's weird. What are they doing? What is Arsenal doing? What is Arteta doing? Is he sacrificing points now to grow the team later? Is he unable to take the team to the next level? I'm very curious about Arsenal now. Uh, they feel pretendery, pretenderish. They feel maybe-ish. They're not answering the questions that we have. Um, about them. I think that's the key thing. I think Fulham showed good strength, good spirit. I think that Jao Paulinha is literally the best player on that team. And if he plays, they'll be fine because he's that good. Uh, he's probably the best holding midfielder in outside of Rodri. Honestly, he's so good. And Rice, maybe. I don't know. He's older, right? He's already 29. So that's why he's not really thought of in that role. But He's something else for Fulham, really makes the team go, really makes everything about them work. Um, it's weird because Arsenal took 11 shots on goal and it doesn't feel like they were that dominant. It felt like something was missing and wasn't working. So interesting. I'm sure Arsenal fans are thinking that's bullshit. We had this game in hand. It was all ours to have, but Still at home, this is more late season Arsenal versus early season Arsenal. We have to remember, last season from the first 19 games, they had 50 points. They were on a 100-point pace and didn't get 35 in the back half of the season. Not as good. So I wonder if there's a little bit of regression to the mean, if Arsenal are going to be where they are, and does Arteta have the answers they need to get to where they need to go? I'm not sure. Manchester United three, Nottingham Forest two. Poor Forest. Forest go up two goals in the first five minutes, and it looks like they're flying. Tayo Iwani seven 
games in a row with a goal, just bullied through from a corner, just ran in on goal. And, <laughs> and uh, I think um, uh, Onana fell down and didn't look good to make the save. Just a really fun goal. And then Willie Bali off his face. Nobody picks him up on the cross. And Fulham and Nottingham Forest are flying. But this is Forest away from home against United. I dreamed my dreams. I hoped my hopes. But it would not happen. Uh, on 17, um, Bruno takes a really hard shot. Almost goes in just on the flight of the ball, uh, but rebounds out to um, out to Rashford, who takes on his man, really brings him down the line. Uh, our friend Serge Aurier from the Spurs days, we know he's crap. But Erickson, who was in the side for the injured Mason Mount, flicks it. He's in the middle of the box. He's where you need to be to score goals. And they get one back. Then second half, it's 2-1. United settled. They're attacking. They're doing what they're supposed to do. I thought Forrest were really just way too deep, way too respectful, went into their shell way, way, way too early. There were moments in the second half, especially early, where they came out and started pushing again, started trying to play again. But really, they kind of just gave up all the territory. Uh, really nice goal. Uh, by, by Casemiro that really was set up by Bruno Fernandez, who makes the run. Uh, it flicked onto him. He heads he heads it across the front of goal and onto Casemiro's head, and United are level. At that point, there was only going to be one winner, uh, and of course, Marcus Rashford draws the penalty. Eh, Danilo, did he? Was it a penalty? I don't know. But United get calls at home. Bruno dispatches it. United up three two. They really never looked back um some nervy moments here or there for um nottingham forest but you've got to try and win games you can't just sit around i love brendan johnson whenever he gets on the ball and starts running i love whenever morgan gibbs white gets on the ball and starts moving it whenever those two guys do things and have the ball good things happen for forest but they don't let it happen enough. And, and Taiwo Ty Iwani is a finisher. And they have the pieces for a team to do good stuff. I did leave out a big piece of information. Joe Worrell had been sent off on the 67th minute. So uh, they really were in trouble most of the back half of the second half for uh, Forrest. And deserve to lose, frankly. But United, again, like we talked about with Newcastle, like we talked about with Arsenal, um, not really connecting yet. Things are not quite working the way they want them to. They didn't show up for the first five minutes. They were just, it looked like Forrest with a home team who were playing at home in front of their fans. And they just got run over for a minute there. But United did settle down. They are getting themselves back together. Um, you know, is are I guess the questions for United are are they good? Is Ten Hag good? Do they have the right players? Have they spent a lot of money for not the right players? Are they spending way over the odds for players without real deep value? Is is Anthony a player who would get into Arsenal's side? 
ever? Would he even be interesting to them? Why is Casemiro and Erickson the two best players on the team and they're both in their mid-early 30s? Fernandez as a captain, whining and complaining all the time. How does that spread through the team? What does it do? I know he wants to win. I, I get that. But is this the right mix of players? Do they have their crack? Do they have their winner? Do they have their killer? I'd argue no, they don't. And it doesn't seem to be one coming because I don't think Holyberg is is that. So it will be interesting to see what happens to Manchester United this season. Um, if they finish in the top four, that would be impressive. But I think that some of the things we thought early on are might not be true. So I think I would rate Spurs higher. I would rate Liverpool higher in terms of hope and expectations. I'm worried about Newcastle. So maybe they slot into there. Uh, we're going to touch on Chelsea uh, in a minute. But first, um, I just worry. I just don't know where they are. Um I trusted a lot in Ten Hag. I gave them a lot of credit, but I'm not seeing the talent on the field connecting together that says this team has improved. I know they've spent money. I know they have players. I know they're working together. But when I see what's happened at Spurs and compare it to United, I wonder if Ten Hag is connecting or the rot at United is too much to overcome uh you had a sale piece like is all the shit that goes on at united weighing down this team that no coach can succeed is he just season two new coach the way things have always been at united since ferguson left they always get fired season two or season three after something disappoints them and they don't get what they want i'm not sure for a team that has two wins those the first win was lucky against Wolves, frankly. The second game probably should have been a draw, even though they lost. And this third game, it's nice that they scored three goals. It's terrible that they gave up two in the first five minutes. So I worry about where they are. Sheffield United won Manchester City. Sheffield United won Manchester City to uh, City had to struggle to get this one done, but they really were always in control. Uh, there were moments there where you thought they might lose, but this team's too good to have that kind of stuff happen. It is true. It was nil nil up until the 63rd minute when Erling Holland put City ahead on a cross by Jack Grealish. He had been dribbling, 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 dribbling. Uh, and they had two guys just not come to him and he just, Popped it over them and Howling put it in. Really good stuff. However, they had it looked like it was going to be one of those days. First half, Holland misses a penalty, something he never does. He slams it off the bar, off a questionable handball. I hate the handball rule. I don't know when it was good or when it was right. It seems to be just sucky all the time. Uh, close to the, the defender was close to Alvarez. His arm was behind him. It chicken wins off his arm. City get a penalty. I'm glad we missed, frankly, because that's not really fair and not how I want to score goals. But whatever the case is, uh, City did bring it together, did get the goal they needed. Uh, they were up 1-0. But, but 
But Sheffield United did not give up. City were not making changes. Juan Marlilo seemed to not be able to transmit the energy that Pep transmits on the sideline. He's just kind of sitting there cross-legged, like with his hands on his face, talking to the coaches, but not giving that Pep energy of just like, if you guys don't score this fucking goal, I'm going to kill you uh, effort. Uh, But City were completely dominant. Um, I don't even think that Sheffield gave effort. They gave fight. They put a lot together. But um, City had 80% possession, 30 shots, nine on target. I mean, it was an onslaught, really. Uh, As much as Sheffield were heroic, they really weren't in the game. They didn't really offer a threat. They didn't really do anything. Uh, They didn't get their first shot on target was their goal. Uh, Fogle get Bogle. Sorry, Jaden Bogle puts them on the board. City were creaking in that moment, and and Sheffield did deserve that goal. And that one one, I did not feel great. I felt shitty. Um, but City have a gear in them that is like no one else's gear. <laughs> to be fair, so Foden came on immediately, starts changing the game. I still don't know why he wasn't on from the beginning. What does the dude have to do? He was incredible against Newcastle, but can't start versus Sheffield. He must have done something. He must be very difficult to deal with, or Pep just doesn't like him, or whatever the case is. Phil Foden needs to play every game while uh, Kevin De Bruyne is out. That's just a fact. Um, So, you know, I don't know. The creativity wasn't there. They weren't making great chances. Holland seemed... Still to not be firing well, including missed missed his penalty, but he did get his goal from Grealish. And then City just turned up the Jets. It was going to come. Rodri ends up being the provider on a ball fired in from Kyle Walker, where Phil Foden's touch sort of gets behind him and ends up being an assist for Rodri, who's right behind Foden. And he leathers it in. City go up 2-1, cue the celebrations. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Just to go back on the Bogle goal, though, Kyle Walker was at fault there. It's in the back of their side. He back heels it. Then he goes flying out the back end of the side of, of the of the of the stands and, and they and Sheffield sort of cycle it around. But we're down a defender. Uh, Gvardiol did his best to get back on side, but he was unable to sort of really get a hold of it. And, you know, it could have been a draw. It could have been bad, but City got out the win. And this goes again back to my narrative. You have the parallel teams that have been the power teams of this Pep era, Pep Klopp era. Liverpool being down a man and coming back. City not playing well and getting things done. These two feel, have the smell of contender. They have the the juice and the energy of a of a team that, are going to win this league. Um, City now gave up their first goal, but undefeated on nine points. First time they've been undefeated since 2016, I think Pep's first season. So really just showing who they are, where they are, what level they're at. And I think Phil Foden has to play. I, I don't know what the hell's going on. So we'll see what Juan Malilo does next in his next game. For Sheffield, they can feel good about the work they put in. They can feel good about scoring a goal, but they're just not talented. (laughs) They haven't spent any money. They haven't really brought anyone in. 
They sold Sander Berg. I love Heckenbottom, but they're making up the numbers. Sheffield are just going to get beat and go home. So there's that. On to another well-coached, dynamic team, the great and powerful Tottenham Hotspur. Defeat Bournemouth, nil two at the Vitality in Bournemouth. Another great performance by Spurs. Uh, they get their goal from Madison on a really nice move. Papasar flicks it into Madison, who then just a deft touches it past Neto. Uh, Spurs have their one no, one goal lead. I mean, it's a competitive game. I don't think Spurs are necessarily uh, perfect yet. They're not super-duper fantastic, but they are fun. They do play football. They are there for the fight. Uh, and in this game, they were stronger defensively. Getting a clean sheet, um, the second goal coming from Kuliszewski, who hadn't scored a goal in a really long time. Uh, in the first half, Clivert was really dangerous for, um, for Bournemouth. And their number one creator, which I figured would have been, was Philip Billing, who's always a good player for them. But they weren't able to do as much as they would have liked to. Uh, but Spurs, just fantastic. Madison all over the place, creating chances, along with Kuliszewski and Madison. That that son, Kuliszewski and Madison group, really creating shots for each other, doing all the work together. Just son not able to get a goal, but... Kuliszewski and Madison able to get their goals and then Yves Basuma backing them up. The real weakness and the talking point of this game is still got to be Richarlison's just falling over, getting cards. Uh, his touch is bad. He's making bad decisions. They've got to get him in line. Otherwise, this was a perfect performance for Spurs. Their big issue is got to be finding a way to get Richarlison feeling good about being part of the unit. Uh, these are games that I expect Spurs to win, especially against lower uh, quality teams, teams that I expect to be in the bottom half. But this is a really good performance. 2.1 expected goals. They get two goals. Um, Udogi, again, Perisic coming in. They're starting to have substitution patterns. Uh, Perisic coming in. Hoiberg coming in late to solidify the game when they're up a goal. Uh, coming on for Richarlison, just things that control, things that are powerful, things that make the game more manageable. So we're seeing patterns from Postacoglu about how he wants to play, what players are going to play, and how things are going to work. I really loved what I saw from Spurs. And the interviews with Postacoglu are just class. He's so, so fun. He's so, so on top of things. Just a fantastic coach for Spurs. This is about as positive a uh, start for Spurs as they could have. They're going to come into adversity. There's going to be games that they give up for and lose badly. It's going to happen because um, they're still open. Um, I like Van de Ven. He had some good moments. Uh, I like Romero. He can be a little bit too aggressive, but there's going to be games where things go wrong for them. They just are. But the way they're playing right now, the way they're attacking, the way they play for each other, just night and day of what we've seen from Spurs in previous seasons. Just pure magic. Exciting, exciting stuff. Uh, Spurs fans can be happy. And then well, let's go to the Friday night game. Luton, uh, sorry, Chelsea 3, Luton nil. This was the uh, Raheem Sterling coming out party. I will eat my hat. 
I was killing Raheem Sterling in this game. Uh, he just is such a good player. <laughs> He's so frustrating. Uh, you see him jink and jive and get into good positions and his final ball is bad. You see him jink and jive and get into good positions and he shoots the ball over the bar. You see him jink and jive and get into good positions and he hits a soft chocolate leg shot, as the Dutch say, a guy with a weak leg. But this time, he gets the goal on 17 and Chelsea are up 1-0, really cruising, really getting things along. But I thought in the first half, they were... Still a work in progress. Things were still not really working. Uh, Justo and Sterling were working on their side, on their side of the field, on the right side of the field. But on the left side, Chilwell not quite linking up with his partner on, on the wing on his side. Chilwell, Colwell, yeah, Chilwell and Fernandez not really linking up. Uh, Caicedo and Gallagher, I kept my eye on those two. Caicedo was more still and trying to be in defensive positions while Gallagher kept moving and being energetic. But otherwise, they kept Luton at bay. Luton didn't really create anything. Again, these lower-level teams, they've got to put more effort in. They had one shot on target the whole game. They've got to do more or they're not going to get a win. These draw You can't win just by drawing. You've got to do something. Uh, Raheem in the second half, Chelsea were better, got a goal on 68. And then my guy, Nicholas Jackson, our Lord and Savior, on a cross from Raheem Sterling. So two goals and assists for Sterling gets his first goal as a Chelsea player. He was having a hard time, but still, like I said, trust the process with Nico Jackson. He was making the runs, getting on the ball. His touches were going all over the place. The passes were not getting where they needed to be. But Chelsea are still grinding. They're still working in progress they've get a win they're in better shape than they were previously uh, i like what i see from chelsea uh it was frustrating but i think that raheem sterling as a leader as the 28 year old who's won it all uh coming from um city having a hard time being back in his hometown you know was the pressure there i what the mess that was chelsea you know, he seemed to not be focused. And he literally said in his interview with Sky, I need to be more focused on football. I'm just getting back to basics. And he seemed to be getting back to basics, getting on the ball, running at people, get on the ball, run at people, get on the ball, get in the box, jink, jink, jink. So if he's doing that, he can cause a lot of problems. The next step for Sterling is to get found is the runs off the ball. Can he get his teammates to find him because he lived in the back post for City off the ball. So can he make runs, hand the ball off, get to the back post, and have them find him? That's when we know that Raheem Sterling is back. That's when we know that he can score 20 goals. This version of Raheem, where he's the creator on the ball, is not going to get more than 10 because it's too hard. But um, he needs to find easier goals because if he's going to have to make them, it's going to be too hard for him to do it all by himself so spurs i mean so chelsea get their first win of the season after that loss that they had to west ham speaking of west ham west ham defeat my beloved <laughs> brighton and hove albion they win one three uh, against the beautiful high-flying Eagles. Um, 
I mean, high flying seagulls, uh, just a real masterclass in togetherness and counter attack football. Uh, James Ward Prowse creates the first goal, intercepts it long ball to Antonio Antonio bullies Webster who had a terrible game on the left side of defense. Then while that's all happening, James Ward Prowse is busting his ass to get into the box. Antonio feeds him. He fires it in, takes a touch, puts it in, and West Ham are up 1-0. Then, on a direct long ball, boom to Antonio, boom to Jared Bowen, boom, there's a goal. Literally three touches. Goalkeeper, Antonio, goal. I mean, just insane stuff uh, (laughs) from the team. Is that Did I get that wrong? No, no. Let me let me make sure. I think I, I got that wrong. But anyway, just incredible stuff. Incredible stuff from the great and powerful uh uh West Ham. Everything connecting between Bowen, Antonio. Uh the change. Ben Rama came on after Suchek was hurt. He made a difference. I got that wrong. The ball went out to Saeed Ben Rama and he was on his own, waiting for the whole team to come. And they streamed forward. Uh, and he just put it on on a plate. Just incredible stuff. Just really good goalkeeping, really good back-to-front direct football. Actually, I've got that wrong. It's keeper to Antonio, Antonio to Ben Rama, Ben Rama to Bowen. Boom, boom, boom. Traditional long ball English football. Everything David Moyes does is gold. Uh, Just an impressive performance for the Hammers, who spent most of the time sitting deep, letting... Letting Brighton have the ball. Brighton did take a lot of shots, created a lot of chances. Uh, you know, Ariola made lots and lots of saves. I think he made uh <laughs> he made nine saves to put to put that in perspective, but not a lot of high, not a lot of high value saves. Um, maybe one or two where you felt like, wow, that's an amazing save. The 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 header by uh, Ferguson had a few good shots. You know, I, I'm che- I'm keeping my eye on him. Four shots on target, but only 0.6, you know, only 0.6 expected goals. So not the highest value shots, just a spinning, turning shot, uh, something like that. Pascal Gross had four shots on target. So between Gross and Ferguson, a lot of good ones. Matoma couldn't quite affect the game. Neither could Sally March, who came off for my guy, uh, Simone uh, Ingdingra. Um, just another day. Another day and 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 Brighton would have won this game, but they have to really think about is this a blueprint for how teams are going to beat us? Are they just going to sit deep and attack us? West Ham are probably the West Ham and Brentford are the two best teams at this, I would say. Uh, but with with the the runners that can do the damage to you. But I think that um just a really good performance from West Ham getting the goals they did, just you know. Just a crazy juxtaposition in how you play, right? Brighton had 78% possession, 812 passes, 25 shots, 10 on target. West Ham does not care about that. 65% passing accuracy, 22% possession, but they still had seven shots on target. So when they got the ball, they went quickly, carried it, shot it, got good shots. Uh, as a city fan, this looks very much like 1819 city or 1920. I guess the season that Liverpool won the title, 
where we battered teams but still lost nine times because Otamendi and Stones and and then Fernandinho just couldn't weren't central defenders. So whenever someone attacked City, we got hit in a break and it was like a high, high value shot and goal. So West Ham deserved the win. They're two and one. Uh, they, they're unbeaten. So good stuff for the Hammers. Um, I don't think Brighton and Hove, uh, Brzezerbi will too, be too bummed out about this game. Uh, he'll be just be like, we could have won any other day. But it was really about game state. You know, a lot of the shots and saves that Ariola made were really because um, West Ham were way up. Uh, they were already up three. I think that allowed uh, West Ham to be a bit even more defensive than they would be and probably let them shoot and, and take their chances on on whether goals went in or whatever. So uh, good stuff there by the great and powerful uh, West Ham. Okay, other games of note. Brentford won, Crystal Palace won. Uh, this game has been a draw five different times, five times in a row. Uh, goals by Shada, really good, great first goal. Very Matoma-esque, cups in from the wing, top far corner. Really probably one of the goals of the weekend by Kevin Shada. And then Joachim Anderson, not one of the goals of the season. This is a fullback running, a, a center back running in. The goalkeeper comes out and he pokes it under his legs. Not a great goal, but Crystal Palace were probably good for that goal and do deserve the 1-1 draw. Um, a fine game, not a great game. Uh, a draw made sense. This is very draw central. These are two teams that hurt bigger teams on the counter versus them either of them having to try and create anything. Again, it was Eze uh, doing all the creation for, for Crystal Palace, but just unable to get anyone on the end of things. This is the problem for the great and powerful Eagles. They just don't have a finisher. So things are always weird for them. And then for Brentford, they don't want the ball. <laughs> they want to lump it up high and then try and uh, do things there. Uh, I've always liked Joachim Anderson. He's a great player. Just a player I keep an eye on uh, in, in some of the lower teams. <sighs> Everton. Everton, nil. Wolves, one. Catastrophic Everton game. Just... <laughs> They're never going to score again. They're never going to score again. They're so, 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 so bad. Um, I just don't know who's going to be the person who scores the goal. Uh, Dan Juma tried, took three shots, three on target. That was nice for him. Uh, maybe he'll get them off the schneid. Uh, Garner had a shot on target. Ducori had one. The, they did have a goal that was called off four off sides. They're just not creating anything at all and wolves with their second their second shot on target in the game get it on goal and they take all three points sasha kaladzic the big six foot five center forward who was supposed to come last year but got hurt in the first minute he was on the pitch um steals the win in the first six pointer of the season the great and powerful Gary O'Neill working his warlock ways with the now uh, with wolves now. So interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, a win that wolves will cherish while the great and powerful Everton sit at the bottom of the table. I did forget one other game and that would be Burnley one 
Aston Villa three. Maddie Maddie Cash two goals early. Uh, really put Aston Villa in the driver's seat. I love Ollie Watkins. I love Ollie Watkins. He's the best striker you don't watch every day. He's so fucking good. Why doesn't Spurs have him? Go get him, Spurs. I guess it's too late now. I guess Villa and Spurs are kind of equal footing in terms of levels. Like they both have good managers. They both spending money. I don't think you could get him, but what a fantastic player Ollie Watkins is involved in both goals in the first half. And that pattern that, um, Unai Emery has them play McGinn into the make McGinn gets the ball on the wing off goes, um, uh, Ollie Watkins. And that's the trigger that gets the team going. The ball goes around a corner and there they're off, uh, two goals by Matty cash playing wing back for the first time that I've seen him. And then, um, Diaby gets the other goal. He's so, so good. Aston Villa, aside from the weird ass whooping that they took <laughs> uh, by Newcastle when they played that crazy high line and didn't stop playing it until uh, Newcastle had five goals. They're now ahead of them in the table. Aston Villa got their win and uh, they're doing really, really well. I really like what I see from Aston Villa. They are doing really, really well. Uh, just a team to follow. This division is really, really good. Um, there are still contenders and pretenders. I still think it's... I'm adapting to City and Liverpool. I'm not sure now about Arsenal, even though I picked them to win the league. I'm not going to go off that. I'm just worried. I'm just worried about Arsenal. Something is not right. Something is not right. So we have our first standings after three games. City, West Ham, Tottenham, Liverpool. Who had West Ham in the top three, in the top four? Not me. Followed by uh, Arsenal, Brighton, Aston Villa, Man United, Brentford. Uh, rounding out 10th is Chelsea, Palace, Fulham. All the London Cubs hanging in there together with now two losses on the bounce. Newcastle in 13th, 14th Forest, 15th Wolves, Bournemouth in 16th, Sheffield in 17th. Uh, the winless clubs are Sheffield, Burnley, Luton, and Everton. Everton at the bottom, no goals scored, six against. Uh, Luton and Burnley still a game behind because they had their game lost. So we're starting to see something in football. There's only one undefeated team, and it is your beloved, my beloved Manchester City. Uh, so hopefully this isn't a runaway season. Hopefully you guys, other teams will pull teams back. West Ham will not stay in the top four. But last season, no, not last season, but the season before, they did spend quite a bit of time in the top six. Uh, we thought that maybe they'd have a run at Europe, but that's very unlikely. But we'll see what happens, and I expect Arsenal to right the ship. It is only a draw, but an unfortunate draw, and I haven't seen the Havertz thing quite work yet. Quite work yet. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports channel and presented by the Premier Streaming Network. We're recording on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please like, share, and review the show. Like, share, and review the show. We need you. Thank you. We love you. Goodbye.